0: Thank you, Father, that you are indeed are here this morning. That your presence, beautiful and holy, has invaded this place. Heaven has bowed low and kissed earth right in this spot. Lord, we acknowledge your greatness and your presence in this place. And Lord, we thank you that even now we are absorbing an atmosphere of your presence. Lord, there's grace flowing like a river. There's mercy here. There's healing here. There is strength and grace and hope and strength. We thank You for Your holy presence. And we acknowledge that You are God here in this place. We love You and we thank You for who You are to us today. Jesus, You're beautiful. We love You. Can you say Amen? Wow. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, worship team. Whew. You know, you encounter the presence of God like we are this morning, and theres you almost don't want to talk sometimes. You don't want to spoil the presence of God that's in this place. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. And... Uh, <coughs> The 9 o'clock service, the service for true Christ followers. It's great to see you this morning. And uh, could you just smile real big at your neighbor and just say, thank you for being amazing. Would you do that? Thank you for being amazing. You know, this This is not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but i, I got to tell you, I... Uh, this place is pretty special, and I want to thank you for rising to the challenge and meeting the need. We talked last week about as soon as we thanked you for sending 200 Christmas boxes all over the world to bless needy children and, and kiss them in the name of Jesus. We said, you know, there's uh, uh, needs in the community here in DeWitt and in Bath and in Langsburg and in St. John's, and we have we were going to give out 75 uh thanksgiving baskets and we had over 120 people call and say we're in need could you help us and north point you rose to the challenge and 120 uh, thanksgiving baskets went out and saturday this sanctuary was wasn't jammed but we had a whole bunch of people yeah you can put your hands together thank you thank you thank you for being amazing and just loving like jesus loves and and uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm proud to be associated with a group like you. I really am. Uh, we've got some great stuff happening. Uh, mark this down, just a couple housekeeping notes. That Sunday, December 12th, is going to be a family meeting here at North Point. If you consider this your church, then we invite you to be here Sunday night, December 12th, 6 p.m., right here in the si- 15th. My, my bad, thank you. December 15th. Why, man, why am I having such trouble with that? 15th. December 15th. Sunday, December 15th. Say 15th. 6 p.m. right here. We're going to have a family meeting. We're uh, going to be sharing some updates, some information. Uh, we're going to be affirming elders and uh, search team members looking for uh, executive pastor search, so you're going to want to be here for that. Missionary wish wish list, you have that in your bulletin, and there is a map out at the information booth with our missionaries and and a specific list of what they would love to have for Christmas, and you can be a part of making Christmas special for those that are on the front lines for Jesus. If you would like to do that, we appreciate your help. And uh, we are in a series this morning, Stride. It's an eight-week series stepping up, stepping out and keeping pace as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we've covered some ground already. <clears throat> and uh we've followed Jesus in week 1 to a funeral. That funeral was ours because we need to die to ourselves and our agenda. Last week we followed him into the closet and we talked about secret giving, secret praying and secret fasting. This week we're going to follow Jesus into the Colosseum and uh it's going to get it's it's going to be rough and tumble today. We're going to uh we're going to it's 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 going to be a fight today. And then next week, our very own Chris Carter, we're going to follow Jesus to the carpet square. And uh, that's going to be a powerful and inspiring message by Chris Carter. And then the following week, Blake Ashdown, who's been a great blessing to North Point, is going to lead us in following Jesus into the classroom and the chalkboard. So uh, we've got a great lineup, and uh, we want you to be here every week as we stride and keep up with Jesus. This morning, we're going to follow him into the Colosseum, and I want us to watch a video clip that is actually a little bit of a documentary that was done by Pastor Billy Joe Doherty, who has since gone on to be with Jesus. And it's probably a familiar story to a number of us here, but perhaps some details that maybe you haven't heard before about legendary missionary Jim Elliott and four other missionaries who lost their lives Serving Jesus Christ, reaching out to an unreached people group, the Akka Indians. We're going to hear the first part of this story and documentary, which is going to set us up for where we're going this morning. And then at the end of the service, we'll be watching a follow-up clip. Excuse me, but if you direct your attention to the big screen. In
1: 1956... Five missionaries were speared by a tribe in Ecuador. They were trying to reach with the gospel. One of the men's sisters went in, and eventually that tribe came to Christ. Later, the young son of the pilot who was speared went into that tribe. Steve Saint tells the story of what happened. Those five men were speared. Not only Steve today but also the man who speared his father, Menkaye. My dad was killed when I was just a little boy and it was uh, with four of his friends and it, it was a really violent um, killing. And people ask me all the time, you know, how I could forgive the people that killed my dad including grandfather Minkayi, who I think was the one who finally did kill my dad. You know, I'm sure that they don't understand the perspective from which I saw it all. My dad and his four friends, Roger, Pete, Ed, and Jim, knew that they were risking their lives to try to contact this violent group that had never had friendly contact with the outside world. And then when it came right down to them being attacked, they had guns and they could have defended themselves, but they preferred to die rather than kill even in self-defense
0: an amazing true story again that some of us are familiar with but what struck me was they actually were armed you saw the guns they had rifles they had pistols Jim Elliot had a pistol at his side that he chose not to use And you read a little about his story. He spent three years after going to Bible school and preparing for his life's calling to be a missionary, he spent three years in the bush learning Spanish, getting to know the tribes that were on the peripheral of where these Aka Indians were that they ultimately reached out to try to meet. So he invested years of his life, as did his his colleagues, to reach out in Christ-like love to a group of people That didn't know Jesus Christ, selflessly and, uh, well, selflessly reaching out to these people. They could have fought, they could have used their weapons to defend themselves, but they chose not to because they didn't want to create a barrier to these people ultimately coming to know Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to follow Jesus into the Colosseum allegorically because we're going to go right into the middle of the fight. It's one of the toughest parts, one of the most difficult aspects of being a true Christ follower we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about doing right when wronged. Easy to talk about. Easy to preach about. But it's a little more challenging to live out. We need the grace of God flowing in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to actually walk out what we're going to talk about this morning. We need God's grace and help in our lives. To be fully devoted Christ followers. Doing right when wrong. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to pick up right uh, where we left off. 1 Peter. A couple of key texts this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21, again, one of the base texts of our whole series, keeping stride. We said that, that being a follower and following in the footsteps, that's what Peter talked about. For God called you to do good, he says, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example and you must follow in His steps. Stride is about following in the footsteps of of Jesus Christ. And we have to stretch in order to be like Him. And we're going to stretch this morning by the grace of God. Peter put it this way in chapter 4, verse 1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that He had and be ready to suffer too. Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Isn't that amazing? You are blessed when people insult you. We've all been insulted in this room, and it sure doesn't feel like blessed. Can anybody say amen? (laughs) That doesn't feel blessed. That feels painful. That's a big ouch. Wow, when people insult you and persecute you and false, they lie about you. That doesn't feel blessed. Wow, that gets our gander up, man. If there's anything we want to respond to. Dang, if, you, if you've got an ounce of humanness in you, you, you just, there's a part of us that Jesus is saying some pretty radical stuff here. He goes on and a little bit later in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38-41, through 41, he says, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know, that doesn't sound too bad every once in a while. Can we just regress to the Old Testament every once in a while? No. Verse 39, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus is teaching some principles about how to respond to incredibly difficult circumstances. And I thank God for Him because He's our leader he has set an example in every area. He doesn't point the way. He leads the way. Somebody say praise God for that. Yeah. So let's talk for a few minutes about instead of fight when wrong. Now that's the natural inclination. It's to fight. No. We want to talk about doing right when wronged. Left to ourselves, we'll fight. Left to ourselves, we will retaliate. Left to ourselves, we will begin to speak. We will begin to act. We will begin to plot revenge. We will be bitter. We will be angry. Left to ourselves. Now, most of us probably aren't going to be a Jim Elliot, although some may. Most of us aren't going to fly into an unreached people group and try to understand their language to reach them for Jesus Christ and be at risk of the end of the spear most of us probably are not although I'm not gonna say that none of us would be but all of us have been maligned in person we've been talked about in print or maybe on Facebook and the natural response we want to respond we want to retaliate we want to we want to engage we want to justify we want to it's natural so we've experienced this on some level. We've been mocked by friends, co-workers, made fun of, picked on, bullied. Maybe, maybe it's because of your stance and the team didn't understand. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's a spouse who derides you and, and gives you a hard time as a Christ follower because they don't understand and they make your life difficult. Maybe it's a family member, a parent, or a child, or a sibling, that has said things and done things that are downright mean, that are hurtful, that are hard for you to deal with. We're following Jesus into the Colosseum. And we're learning to respond as He would have us respond. We're going to distill the New Testament this morning into nine instructions, nine directives when persecuted. But you've been maybe laid off or fired because you walked in integrity. I know a good friend of mine years ago, he was instructed to do things that were unethical in his job. And he said, in in, in conscience, I can't do that. It violates my conscience. And as a Christian, I believe it violates the Word of God. He was being asked to do something unethical. He said, I can't do it. He was terminated. He lost his job. Husband, father, serious, lost his job. How do you? Resp- some of you in this room have experienced that. Or you know people that have experienced that. You've been shunned. Maybe you've been written out of a will. You've been bullied. You've experienced some level of persecution because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Because of your testimony and because of your lifestyle and because of your stance for Jesus. How do we respond to that? This is an important issue. Very, very important to, the, to your life. And to the gospel. So let's look at nine instructions of how to do right when wronged. We're going to walk through them quickly. Principle number one. Directive number one is this. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't be shocked. This We should expect to be persecuted. Paul put it this way. All who endeavor to live godly in Christ Jesus. He didn't say might be persecuted. He said, will. It's coming. Maybe it's for some of you it's already here. Maybe some of you you're just walking out of it. Listen, we're, we're in one of three camps. We're just coming out of it, we're in it, or we're just headed into it. One of the three. Okay. So, Peter says, don't be surprised. Jesus said, don't be surprised. Listen to the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. It's on the screen for you. Beloved, don't be surprised. Peter was writing to a whole group of people that had been, they were homeless. They were vagabonds. They had been driven from their homes. They were scattered abroad because they were being persecuted for their faith. And he says in chapter one, don't be surprised at this fiery art. Don't let this shock you. He said, This is the testing of your faith. This is developing you. Don't be surprised by this. So directive number one is don't be shocked. As I said, we're either walking out of it, we're walking through it, or we're walking into it. One of the three. So don't be surprised. Directive number two is don't give your persecutors any ammo. By all means, don't give them ammunition. What do I mean by that? Peter puts it this way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 4, verse 15, he says, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. He said, By all means, do not suffer as a slanderer or as a deceiver or as an evildoer. Don't suffer for those reasons. If you suffer, suffer for doing right. So, directive number two is don't we have to live upright lives. We can't give people any ammunition by deceiving, by defrauding, by conducting ourselves in, an, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that, that lacks integrity or, or, the, or uprightness in our business dealings, in our relationships. We have to toe the line. We have to set an example. So let's not give the enemy a crack or a toehold. Don't give them any ammunition. Directive number three, this is tough. Don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Never take revenge. Right after Peter writes what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he goes on to talk about the example of Jesus going to the cross. And one of the things the Bible tells us about Jesus is he didn't plot any revenge. We're to follow his example in that. Number one, don't be surprised. Number two, don't give the enemy any ammunition. Number three, don't retaliate. There's something built into us. We want to protect ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. We want to defend, especially when the accusation or the persecution is unjustified. And can I just pause to say Jesus Christ is our example because nobody has been shafted more than Jesus Christ, He was God. He came to this planet and He walked a perfect sin. He, he not only was sinless, the Bible says, says He went about doing good and healing all. It's not that He didn't... See, half of it is He didn't sin. The other half of it is all He did was good. He was actively doing good. We said last week he was so accustomed to caring for the poor that when Judas left on the night of his betrayal, the other disciples assumed Judas was going to care for the poor. Nobody has been shafted more than Jesus. Nobody has had a a stronger case to defend themselves, and to seek out revenge than Jesus Christ. And He's the one that calls us to follow in His footsteps. So can I just pause to say, when it comes to revenge, Jesus understands. He knows exactly how you feel. He understands the pain. He understands the injustice. He he gets it. Nobody gets it more than Him. And He's standing right beside us to walk courageously with us in following His example. Brethren, don't take revenge. Leave that to God. Just leave it in His hands. Directive number four, the first four are don'ts. Then we're going to talk about the the next five, which are all do's. Do's and don'ts. Here's the fourth one. Don't, don't run your mouth. Actually, I should qualify this because you can run your mouth in certain respects. But the Bible is very clear that when you are persecuted, when you're wronged because of your faith in Christ, when you're persecuted, it says, shut your mouth. Why? Because that's the, that's the number one way we want to respond oh. We want to say something. Something on Facebook somebody says about you that's not right. And you don't want to say it here, but man, you're saying it through your fingers, or at least you want to. But we've got to. The Bible says again of Jesus in his example of going to the cross, he uttered no threats. They were mocking him. Ah, you said you could. You said you were God, but just come down from the cross and we'll believe you. He was being mocked while he was hanging there. And he didn't say anything. Falsely accused. Kangaroo trial. I have been in a kangaroo trial before. Baseless lawsuit. Money grab situation. Completely unjust. Some of you in this room know what I'm talking about. Jesus was silent before his accusers. Wow. Wow. So we have to learn to keep our mouth closed. First Peter two twenty three. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat. Now, we're going to move into some of the, the do's. And, uh, and and we'll get to this about, about a proper use of our mouth when we're persecuted. Because there is a proper use. This is improper. Okay? We're told not to do this. But there is a proper use. We'll get to it in just a minute. But here's, the first four are don'ts. Don't be surprised. Don't give ammo. Don't retaliate. Don't run your mouth. Here's number five. Do show respect. Say, wow, show respect to somebody that's totally disrespecting me. Act in a respectful manner to somebody that's out to get me. Are you kidding me? And to show respect? Over and over and over in the New Testament, we're instructed to show respect even when we are maligned, even when we are being taken advantage of, even when we are being mistreated. Why? Why? Because that's what makes the gospel so freaking amazing. Let me use the phrase that will rock people's faces off. It will, over and over, in the New Testament. Let's now we'll consider 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and verse 17 and 18. I I'd abbreviate some of these. So uh, this, let me just set this up. I'm not picking on the ladies here. This is a, an incredibly powerful example of what I'm talking about. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 about following in the footsteps of Jesus. The chapter closes out with Jesus' example of going to the cross and willingly suffering unjustly so that He might bring us to God. And then chapter 3, context, Jesus suffering unjustly, goes right into chapter 3, verse 1, and it begins to talk about wives showing chaste and respectful behavior to the husband. Why? Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior, observing chaste and respectful behavior. This is a principle. This This isn't an unjust directive to wives to be a doormat. That's not what this is about. This is about Jesus Christ and His shining example. And the reason that Christ went to the cross was so that He could redeem us and bring us to God. And when we are mistreated for righteousness' sake and we show respect, we show an attitude of respect, something supernatural and powerful takes place. So that the Bible says in this instance, an unsaved husband who's unjustly persecuting his wife, can be saved without her saying a word. That is powerful. I believe it was St. Francis of Assisi said, I will at all times preach the gospel, and when necessary, I'll use words. That's the principle here. See, and the Bible talks to slaves. Slaves, show respect for your masters, even if you are harshly treated. Why? Because it's a powerful communication of the gospel. People can't forget it. Saul became Paul, and what did he see just before his conversion? He saw Stephen, whose face was shining like an angel, being stoned and saying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That's what he saw before he went to Damascus. Do you think that maybe that had something to do with his amazing transformation, powerful conversion? I think it did. Wow. We're talking about communicating the gospel. This is why. This is why. So that people see the gospel. See, at North Point, Sunday's all about Monday. Now, now look at your neighbor and say... Uh, Spoiler alert, Monday's coming. <laughs> and, and we're, we're going to be... We're going we're gonna to have... Trust me, the Holy Spirit will give us some opportunities to walk this out. <laughs> Remember principle number one, don't be surprised. Right? Monday's coming. But by the grace of God, we'll respond properly. And the Holy Spirit will anoint our lives, and our example to do something powerful in somebody else's life. I heard this statement years ago, and I like it. Somebody else is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Sorry, I don't have that for the big screen, but you could write that one down because it's powerful. We're talking about properly responding. Do show respect. You may have no respect for the individual. But out of the fear of God and out of the respect of the name of Jesus Christ and his reputation, you're going to respond properly. You're going to respond right when wronged out of your commitment to Jesus Christ. All right, principle number six. We already talked about in the life of Jesus, it's simple do good. What do you do when you're wronged? See, it's important not to retaliate. It's important to keep your mouth shut. It's important to not give the enemy any ammo. But this probably is even more important. Because the Bible says, not only should we refrain from certain things, we ought to engage and do certain things. Excuse me, we ought to do good. Jesus, quoting him again out of Matthew chapter 5. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. The definition of an evil person, you might be interested in. Full of annoyances. Do you know anybody like that in your life? (laughs) That's the definition of an evil person. Full of annoyances. Some of you are thinking, man, my brother, my sister, I'll tell you what. they. Full of hardships. Bringing or causing pain or trouble. Wicked or bad. That's an evil person. You probably know one. I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. But who wants to sue you, take your shirt, etc. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. Romans chapter 12, never take your own revenge, but if your enemy is hungry, look at this, it says, be on the offensive. Do something positive. What is that? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. It's, see, it's not now it's important not to do the negative things, but it's even more important to do the positive things, which is so incredibly difficult to do. We need the grace of God to do it. Your enemy, feeding him, giving him drink. I think of Dave Reaver. Some of you have heard of Dave Reaver. You know his story. Served honorably in the military. Served in Vietnam. He was on one of those boats. They were doing reconnaissance and they were throwing white phosphorus grenades. They were burning out the edges of the river so that the enemy couldn't be there to sniper them and kill them. He was on this boat. He had a, he pulled the pin of a white phosphorus grenade and he was ready to throw it onto the, the shore when as his arm was cocked, a sniper's bullet missed his head and hit the grenade. It blew up in his hand. White phosphorus was splattered all over his body. It knocked him off into the river. White phosphorus cannot be put out. Water, water won't extinguish the burning uh, capability of white sulfur. So his body was burning while he was in the water. He was a bold Christian for Jesus Christ. He was mercilessly persecuted by many of his fellow soldiers. And when his head came above the water after being knocked off that boat, his body burning, his face disfigured, his hand virtually gone, the first thing he said was, God, I still believe in you. 18 months of surgeries. It's a miracle that he survived. And... He's a powerful evangelist, but one of the remarkable things that Dave Reaver has done in his ministry, and there are many, is that he has gone back to Vietnam to minister to the Vietnamese in providing clothing, providing food, and providing medical care. That's what Paul and Jesus and the New Testament is talking about. He's talking about... Can you imagine the man whose whole life was unalterably changed? He has many artificial body parts. He, 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 he jokes, he's, he's a master musician. He plays the piano, deformed, better than probably most people in the world. And he has a fake ear, and he talks about playing the piano by ear, and he takes his ear off and puts it down on the piano and plays. <laughs> he has an amazing sense of humor. But he went back to Vietnam, loving these people, feeding these people, clothing these people in the name of Jesus when they were the ones that attacked him. Wow. That's what, see, that's the gospel. That's Jim Elliot and these brave men that laid down their lives for the gospel. Wow. This is why we are to do these things. Do good. Let me tell you about the Amish melon farmer. The Amish, as you know, they're, they're farmers. They, they, they raise their own crops. They, they, they make their own furniture. They're amazing. They're industrious. Their work ethic is extraordinary. There was this Amish me- melon farmer, and, and he was a farmer. And he makes, they make their livelihood by their farm, right? And there were some young men that were carousers, and they, 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 were, they were bored. They were trying to figure out something to do, probably a little intoxicated. I don't know for sure, but they decided they were going to have some fun and go to this melon farm and just smash melons. Because I don't know why that's fun, but it's just fun to smash stuff. Well, you know, guys like to smash stuff, so they they decide they're going to go to the. So it's at night, it's dark. The Amish, you know, they, the, the farmer hears something going on out in the field, so he goes out there to find these young men that are destroying, actively destroying his livelihood, his means of supporting his family. And let me just let me just freeze frame right there, and, and, and ask you to put yourselves. In this farmer's shoes, <laughs> you're, already, you're already racking a shell down here. <laughs> Body language. What would you do? How would you respond? What would you say? Just just think about that for just please don't say it out loud. Might not even want to write it down so you're not incriminated. OK. But how would you respond? And I'll never forget his response. I've thought of it many times. It's challenging and inspired me. He said, boys, I see you're having some fun smashing melons. He said, but these aren't my best melons. He said, come and follow me. He says, I want to show you. There's There's another patch over here where the melons are even bigger. Do you suppose those boys followed him? No. They hung their heads in shame. And they turned around and they walked quietly back to their car. And they probably never forgot what that simple Amish farmer said to them. See, that's the gospel. That will rock people's faces off when we respond right. When wrong, see, it, 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 it's a weak person cannot do this. And here's the deception: you people may mistake this for weakness make no mistake it takes an incredibly strong person to do right when they're wronged and Jesus Christ was a real man can somebody say amen all right don't be surprised don't give ammo don't retaliate don't run your mouth do show respect do good here's principle number seven directive number seven do pray I said, there's wrong ways to use your mouth. Here's a right way to use your mouth. Listen to the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a proper use of our mouth. Not reviling in return. That's not a proper. Not, not gossiping, not talking about it. Not going to the coffee pot or the water cooler and telling everybody at the office about what a dirt bag so-and-so is because they did you wrong. That, no, that's not a proper response. Now, that's a natural response, but that's not a Christ follower response. Jesus said, pray for the." Why? I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Because God has put this person in your life because He wants to reach them. And He wants to reach them through you. So that's the number one reason you should pray for them. The number two reason you should pray for them is, I put it this way, it Teflon coats your heart and your mind. Because when, some, when, when we are done wrong, it hurts. Let's be real. Okay? We're not super people. We're not superheroes. When people jack with us, it hurts. When people jack with the people we love, parents, somebody's bullying your kid, get real. We don't want to rip their face off. We, we want to we stop. We want to get involved. Right? It hurts. It's painful. And those, those hurts and those wounds can go deep in our heart. That's why God in His wisdom said, pray for the person that's taking advantage of you. Because it does something for you. It brings a, 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 a divine, you know, the, the pour in the oil and wine, the kind that restores the soul. When you pray, God does something to heal and protect you your heart and your mind. The Bible says as a believer, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. But sometimes it's way, way, way down there. And if you ever done a water pump by, by hand? Sometimes you got to crank it a few times. The water isn't necessarily right there. You need to prime it. Sometimes you need to crank it a bunch if the water level is way, way, way down. You've got you to gotta use that hand pump. Well, when you pray for those that persecute you, it's like using that hand pump to, to prime the well, and that love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart finally comes up and it begins to overflow. And as you do this, the Holy Spirit's going to do something powerful and miraculous in you. You're actually going to come to a place where you begin to love that person. Now, that's a miracle. That doesn't mean... Now, by love, I'm not, I don't mean that you're going to feel all these gushy emotions and want to go over and give them a big sloppy hug. You may never feel that. Because, after all, that's not real love. It's an emotion. Real love is a decision. And it's an action. We better keep moving. <clears throat> Do pray. Number eight, instruction. Do entrust yourself To God who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.22 Talking about the example of Jesus when He was suffering says this about Him. He never sinned. He didn't deceive anyone. He didn't retaliate when He was insulted. He didn't threaten revenge. He left His case in the hands of God. I like this translation. This is New American Standard. He kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. You can trust God. Now this requires faith. I said last week we need to learn to live for the line, not the dot. See, when you live for the line, the line represents eternity, the dot represents our brief life. When you live for the line, you can say, even though I'm suffering unjustly, I'm going to bear up under this by the grace of God, and I'm going to do right even though I'm wronged. And I'm going to entrust myself to you, Father. See, here's the thing. We may never see justice this side of heaven. But those of us that are Christ followers that live life from an eternal perspective know that a day of justice and equity is coming. It is coming. All wrongs will be righted. Are you listening this morning? And in light of eternity, I can trust, entrust myself to God. He will see that things are made right. So do entrust. And here's number nine. Do rejoice. Over and over in the New Testament, we are instructed to get happy when people revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you and lie about you. Get happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a paradigm shift. Jesus said rejoice. Dance. Act like you've won the lottery. Why? You remember what he said? Because you're what? Reward is what? It's great. Now listen. If if you were in an interview with Donald Trump, and Donald Trump told you, listen, I got your back. I'm going to take care of you. And listen, you've been wronged in this little deal. Listen, I am going to take care of you big time. I'm going to give you a great reward. I I think a smile would crack across your face. Because he's got the wherewithal to do something big, Are you listening this morning? And he is poor compared to the king that you serve. The king is telling you, I'll hook you up. You rep me. You do it my way. I'm going to take care of you. I should put a grin on our face. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, that's what I'm talking about. Not just reward. Great reward. You ought to get happy. Now let me just summarize these nine principles real quickly. Into three benefits of responding right when you're wrong. Of suffering, of bearing up under unjust suffering. Here they are. You can summarize all nine of these points. Here's a good preacher, three points, right? Number one, when you do this, it will magnify the gospel. It will make the gospel irresistible. Number two, it will mature you as a believer, as a Christ follower. It will develop you. It will grow you, it will mature you. and number three, it will multiply your reward. All three of those are reasons to get happy. Now, I've got just a, oh, I've got very little time left. Can I run through this quickly? Can I give you 10 reasons why you can get really happy when you are unjustly? persecuted. Let me give them to you quick, you got to write quick and uh, you, maybe you need a photographic memory. But here it is, I'm going to give them to you in, in rapid fire. This is like drinking from a, from a fire hose. okay, I'm gonna rip your lips off here. God is pleased. there's great reward. You can win over your persecutors. Number four, your faith is refined. I love this one. Number five, the spirit of glory and God will rest upon you. That's pretty good right there. Number six, the, you make the gospel attractive. The Bible talks about a, you adorn the gospel. We're coming into the Christmas season. Let me just say this. We have our Christmas tree up and the kids decorated it with lights and bulb, brand new bulbs and everything. It looks gorgeous. But you know a tree by itself isn't that big a deal. It's all the ornamentation that makes it beautiful. When you do right when wronged, you make the gospel beautiful. Whew, that's a good one. Number seven, your accusers are shamed. Number eight, you become worthy of the kingdom. Number nine, you leave room for the wrath of God. Listen, your, your, your big brother is going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. You can trust him to do that. And number ten, comfort. God comforts personally those that suffer because of His name. So those are ten great reasons to get happy when you are persecuted. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, or at least come in a minute. I'm going to show you another few minutes of the video clip that we saw earlier. And what I want you to take in... See, Jim Elliott... And the four that died with him, the five men that died, they are heroes. They are modern day martyrs. But what I want you to see this morning, I want you to see what in my view is even more extraordinary than five men risking their lives to reach an unreached people group. And that is the response of the family members after their loved ones were murdered. Are you listening this morning? We're going to hear testimony of how they responded. That Jim Elliott's wife and Steve Saint's aunt and others went and continued to love these people that had brutally murdered their brother, their father, their husband. That's extraordinary. So we're going to see this video. And then we're going to transition right into a time of communion this morning. While the video is running, uh, the, the, we're going to distribute communion elements. And you're invited to participate in communion. After the video, the worship team is going to lead us in a response song. And I want to encourage you. This is, this is just time for you and God, for you to respond to this message For you to partake of communion when you're ready during the worship. We're not going to do it corporately together. You just do it when you're ready during the worship response, okay? So we're going to watch video, and then we're going to receive communion as we worship together. And then I'll come up and close us out in prayer
1: aunt was living with a young girl from the Waurani tribe who had fled. My mom went on praying for the Waurani, and then Aunt Rachel went back in to live with these people for the very first time as outsiders. And my, my aunt knew that there was a risk, and I knew that there was a risk that she would be killed too. Well, by the time a year, year and a half later, when I got to go in and live with Aunt Rachel with these people who had killed my dad, that isn't the way I saw them at all. I saw them as being the most special people in the whole world. I mean, why else would my dad have been willing to die for them, my mom go on praying for them, and my aunt risk her life for them? People think it's so amazing that I would forgive Minkai, but, you know, in their culture, because he killed my family, it was my right and my responsibility when I grew up to kill him or his family. But when I went in to live in the jungles, I was just, oh, eight or nine. And I didn't have any of the skills that I needed to live in the jungles. And Minkai, I went to my Aunt Rachel, and he, he said, What's wrong with, with Steve? They call me Baba down there. What's wrong with Baba? He doesn't know how to make poison for his darts. How to, how, he, he can't make darts. He doesn't know how to use the blowgun. He can't track animals. He said, He doesn't know anything. He said, Who's going to teach him how to live? And my Aunt said, You having speared his father, who do you say should teach him to live? And he came back and he said me having speared his father now I say I myself will teach him to live but you know in doing that because he had started walking a new trail he had no idea I was just a little boy he had no idea whether I was gonna walk God's trail or whether I would use the skills that he was teaching me to come back and kill him but he forgave me what he assumed I would grow up to do because he had begun walking this new trail. So, really, if you look at it in the reality in which it took place, the forgiveness that he was willing to believe that I had given up my vendetta against him and then gave me the skills that I would need to carry it out if I didn't give it up, his was maybe the greater forgiveness than mine. When I was a teenager, my sister decided that she wanted to be baptized, and my mom said since you don't have a father of your own who's living why don't you choose somebody who's had a positive spiritual impact in your life and I'll ask him to baptize you well Kathy immediately chose chemo one of the men who had killed my dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim and I thought you know look at these men here chemo and Dewey and Minkai they're the same men who were here at this very place and killed my dad And now here they are. They're spiritual leaders in our lives. And uh, I realized if we let God write the story, He doesn't always promise that all the chapters will be easy, but He does promise that in the last chapter, He will make sense of all the other things that have happened in our life, even though some of them are terribly painful. And I'm very, very thankful that He has. We have become, as grandfather says, we have become like just one family because we all have the same.